0: The Blaze Radio Network. On demand. Don't miss the morning Blaze with Doc. You know, I have a, a suggestion for LeBron What's that? James. Mm-hmm. He might want to get with the rapper from the March for Our Lives. Oh, um, Vic Mensa. Yeah, yeah knows, Vic Mensa. He knows how to carry a gun illegally. He and does. he found out the mm-hmm. rules and regulation mm-hmm. when carrying a gun illegally. Interesting. So Interesting. he might want to talk to because I know they talk. Mm-hmm. They have a network. They talk. The Morning Blaze, weekday morning, 6 to 9 Eastern, on the Blaze Radio Network. Breaching the fault lines of today. Welcome to Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser. On the Blaze Radio Network.
1: This is Dr. Zudi Jasser. Welcome back to another week of reform this. How have you all been? It's been uh, quite an eventful week on my end. A lot to talk to you about. uh, A lot going on in the world of religion, politics, and Islamic reform. If you've been here before, thank you for coming back. Thank you for coming back to a place where I think we have the challenging conversations. Those conversations that people just often won't have and a place actually where you can hear an American Muslim patriot, somebody who loves his country and loves his faith and feels that the Islamist problem is one that only Muslims can solve, and it is about time, it is over time, that we haven't done anything about it. And week to week, I try to find those issues that represent the obstacles, that represent the areas that we need to work hard to fix in the American Muslim community, in the American Muslim identity. And, wow, you know, I'm scheduled this week to uh, speak in a few days to Duke University students uh, for an event uh, sponsored by uh, Duke College Republicans, Young Americans for Liberty, and actually the Alexander Hamilton Society had been sponsoring it and they pulled out now. And always love speaking to university students. Uh, Obviously, uh, I am a product of the American university system, public education, went to University of Wisconsin and the Medical College of Wisconsin on a Navy scholarship. And I think ultimately those minds that have the time to sit down and engage the issues that few will, that have the courage, the critical thinking to address those topics that uh, few will ask the questions of. And, you know, the belief in my faith, I solidified at that age, 14, 15, 17, 20, in which I was asking questions about whether God existed, whether uh, the Quran was the word of God, its authenticity. And I asked the tough questions of my faith, and after I intellectually looked at uh, everything, came down as a strong believer in Islam, a strong believer in this country, and I was stronger for it. So I, I think it was my time in universities, learning this and addressing this, that created the person that's before you. And yet now, in today's university settings, it's almost as if we are so worried about triggers, we're so worried about bullying, and yes, we don't want people to feel bullied. In fact, they should have a space in which they can voice their disagreements and voice real diversity, not based on skin-deep identity. Yes, we should do everything to, to put out the purge, to purge out the ideas of racism, fascism, Intolerance that has no place in a democracy. No place. But also, equally, there's no place for intolerance of oppression against those who disagree with you. Oppression of those who believe that theocracy is not the way for Muslims. Who believe that we Muslims deserve some tough love that, that need to be held accountable for our ideas. I tell you all this because who would have thought? The title of my talk uh, for... Duke University was the American Muslim identity, patriot or insurgent. Very similar to topics I've had before that talk about Americanism versus Islamism, that talk about, heck, you look at other, there have been books written, good Muslim versus bad Muslim. Um, And yet, I guess that was a trigger. They were triggered by the, the Muslim Student Association at Duke was triggered by the binary question. Didn't even care to wait to hear what I was going to talk about, but they triggered and then put the fear of God into the rest of the, and many of the population at Duke and, and others. You see the newspaper then coming out with just a, a bizarrely hypocritical editorial. Didn't even have one quotation from me. And for a group that's concerned about titling, has a has a completely charged triggering title called Fear and Loathing in the Bull City. Fear and Loathing. Basically targeting its own university, bringing back uh, uh, citations of uh, racism era and other things in the South and, and just unbelievable, bizarre juxtapositions of unrelated things in history. Now listen, I'm all for debate. I'm all for listening to folks who may disagree with me. And uh, they recommended at the end of their piece that oh, there should have been a panel of discussion. There are opportunities for that. There's opportunities for that, but there's also opportunities for uh, them to listen to their lecturers. They they recommended that the groups listen and partake in the brilliant Islamic scholars that are at Duke. They're there. They can do that. We're talking about an hour that I was to address the students. That I am to address the students on the topic of how we as Muslims need to take responsibility for reform against Islamism and for liberty. So they asked the question. They made a Facebook post and a protest post. So this is where we are right now in the university settings. I'm coming to talk about the dichotomy between Americanism and Islamism. I'm coming to talk about Why we need to be tougher critical thinkers against our imams, against the theocrats who are misogynists, who teach anti-Semitic interpretations of the Quran, which I reject those interpretations, but yet accept my scripture. I reject the anti-Westernism of conspiracy politics, identity politics, and actually accept the fact that the most moral fighting force on the planet is the American military. And yet, you don't hear those words coming from too many of the American Islamist establishment because they want to demonize what America does abroad. They want to demonize the fact that we, in fact, want to help those who share our values, who believe in freedom and liberty. So, the Duke Muslim Student Association then puts together a protest, writes on the protest page, they say, Let me get this right. They say, as Muslim students and allies, we refuse to allow others to define us with tired racist binaries. We're tired of being told that we have to choose between being insurgents and patriots. Okay, they're tired of it. We're tired of people claiming to represent us who actively promote violence against countless Muslims across the globe. Oh, I don't claim to represent the Muslim Association. In fact, read my book, A Battle for the Soul of Islam. I openly publicly rejected them in 1986 because of their anti-Semitism, because of their orthodox, intolerant fundamentalism, long before 9-11 and long before many of these students were ever born. So, again, no facts. They said they're tired of people erasing their multiplicity. Who did that? Actually, it is the monolithic Islamists that think that there's one voice in Islam and it's this apologetic bromide that refuses to talk about ideological diversity, that women can pray uh, um, next to men, that that women could lead mosques, that there's equality in men and women. No, instead, we must sit down and listen to the lies of Mohammed bin Salman. And I looked at the website of Do Chronicle that was lecturing me on my fear and loathing. I looked at the website, of the Muslim Student Association to see how much they've been outspoken against the theocrats and monarchs and and the real oppressors and murderers and genocidal killers of the Muslim world who are killing our families in the streets because of religious schisms, because of uh, military dictatorship, because of oppression. And it seems that they're far, far more verbose about their discontent with the American government and with the society that gives them freedom. And they're free to do that, but there are some contrary views there. They said, join the Duke MSA, Muslim Student Association, and allies in a counter teaching against Islamophobia and racism. And maybe we can have an honest conversation, they said. So, let me ask them if they're tired. Here's the questions I would ask the Muslim Student Association, and I plan to In a few days. Are you tired of exaggerated excuses? Are you Muslim and tired of the Muslim Student Association who will not own up to the reform we need to do in our own community? Are you tired of Americans seeing us as silence and seeing us as... as, not contrite in realizing that the texts that are 13th century sharia texts like shafi's text reliance of the traveler do not address the core ideologies that radicalize our communities are you tired of apologetics are you tired of those muslims that ignore our holy mandate to speak truth to power to stand for justice even if it be against your own kin to quote the quran so diversity and debate And love for one's faith can be through tough love. Can be through a sense that we are tired as reformists. Are you tired of not hearing from the Muslim reform movement? Are you tired, if you're a Muslim, are you tired of letting the Islamists dominate and and let Americans perceive Muslim ideology as being a monolith? A monolithic apologetic for theocracy. With no critical thinking against the theocrats, with no ownership of the fact that radicalization towards militant Islamism like Nidal Hassan, like Al Qaeda, like ISIS, are are militant movements that are one little sliver of a much bigger nonviolent problem, which is Islamism. Now, to their credit, these students did put that they view that connection, they think it's hateful, they think it's inappropriate, they might disagree. But look at the the theology coming off the lips of the militants in the Islamic world. Look at the theology coming off the lips of three or four imams even that have been videotaped in the last six months in America that that screams anti-Semitism, conspiracy theories, and says, kill the Jew behind every stone that talks about the Jewish community as if they're responsible for evil. And tell me that doesn't radicalize our community, pushing them towards violence. Are you tired of American Muslims not owning up to the 12-step program we need to take? And most importantly, I will ask them at Duke, the Muslim students there and the community, are you tired of only having a conversation about Muslims, what they're against, which is an act of terrorism, but not hearing what ideas they're for, which is liberty and freedom and the separation of mosque and state? So it's not just the dichotomy that I presented in the title of Patriot versus Insurgent. If I had put American versus Islamist, they would have hated it. And yet Mustafa a, a a leading professor and scholar and thinker on Islamic liberty, wrote a piece in the New York Times this week about Islamism being the reason why so many Muslims are leaving Islam. Because they don't want theocracy and they don't want government telling them how to practice their faith. If you're Muslim, are you tired of when American Muslims are on the Olympics? You only hear about the Ibtiaj Muhammad, the fencer with the hijab, and you don't hear about the gold medal winning Delilah Muhammad who doesn't wear a hijab and wears shorts. Isn't there a reason behind that? That's misogynistic, that's not tolerant of diverse thinking. Are you tired of identity politics and our faith? These are questions that, just like they can list questions and be outraged, I'm outraged at the theocrats. I'm outraged at the fact that our youth really don't feel a responsibility to embrace reform. When we come back, I want to talk to you about the Muslim reform movement and how that's really what this question is about. This is Zudi Jasser on Reform This, and we'll be right back.
0: Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser. Breaching the fault lines of today, the Blaze Radio Network.
1: Pat Gray, trigger a Jeffy in four words. Your microphone's still on.
0: <laughs>
1: yes. The buffet is closed. That's <laughs> so good. That's that's funny. Isn't that funny. Why would that? Because yeah, you... I, I think I got it. Get the uh, seatbelt extender. <laughs> <laughs> I got embarrassed asking for it all the
0: time. That's why I stole one. Okay. At Gray.
1: Gray. Weekdays from noon to three Eastern.
0: Only on the Blaze Radio Network. The Blaze Radio Network on demand. Reform this with Dr. Zudi Jesser.
1: This is Dr. Zudi Jasser. Welcome back to Reform This on the Blaze Radio Network. Thank you for joining me in the conversation. Thank you for listening, giving me your time, and opening your mind and thoughts to the fact that maybe there are other ways to look at the Islamic issue, to look at the need for reform. Maybe there are things we can learn from the disease of terrorism, that it may be an underlying condition that we need to treat, and that's what I do here from week to week, and. I hope to do in Duke University in a couple days and as I enter that I I felt with the writings and the misinformation being spread by the Muslim Student Association that I addressed that head-on now make no mistake anyone who does any research into my work will know that the Duke University MSA is was triggered not by the title I could have called it anything I called it the American Muslim identity Patriot or insurgent And their newspaper, the Duke Chronicle, in a, I will tell you, I think it's cowardly, their their entire editorial board unsigned an editorial that then went into how they consider fear and loathing that I would be bringing as an American Muslim who loves my faith and has helped bring four mosques into construction in the United States through the mosque that I was raised in in Wisconsin to the mosque that I helped when I was based in Norfolk, Virginia, and Virginia Beach, at Hampton Roads, to the mosque that uh, my family has built here in Arizona, in Scottsdale, and the mosque my family built in Fort Smith, Arkansas, on and on. Because I do believe American Muslims are part of the fabric of America. But I view Islamism, theocracy, Islamic theocracy, the Islamic State mentality, not just ISIS, but the Islamic Republic of Iran, of Saudi Arabia, of Pakistan, of the AKP of Turkey, Islamist movements I view as more dangerous than even the Cold War was. And the Cold War is still going on with communist corrupt Russian ideology, collectivist ideology, preventing that nation from being free and oppressing its population. So... It is very appropriate in an academic setting to talk about what collectivism does to a community. And you can love your faith and love your Quran, your scripture, and still speak out against movements that hijack your faith. And it's gone beyond hijacking the Islamic world. The Islamic establishment is the problem. So it is not a surprise that the MSA created in the 60s through funding and, and uh, petro-Islamic stimuli, planted the seed that in most of the universities, which then led to the ISNA organization, as these youth were uh, matured into professionals and, and ultimately became activists. The Islamic Society of North America was created, and the Holy Land Foundation trial talked about how this network of organizations brought with it a common ideology of Islamism and was part of the Muslim Brotherhood evangelical spread of political Islam into the West. The Muslim American Society is part of that. And the Muslim Student Association was clearly, by any historical review, any objective historian that looks at the growth of Muslim activist groups on campuses, that the MSA, not every chapter... And I don't know the history of Duke's chapter, but the bottom line is is You can see by their reaction to an anti-Islamist Muslim that they are towing the line of Islamist ideology. So hats off to the courage of the organizations that invited me. Uh, you know, it was uh, um, uh, fascinating that uh, they lumped me in with the controversy of Charles Murray and so many others. You know, listen, um we should be able to in the country that was founded on the countering of theocracy the united states of america should be able to have a conversation in our universities as to the threat of theocrats whether it's in within a minority or not and how we need to embrace the immigration the identification of Muslim liberals, Muslim free thinkers who believe in freedom and liberty as being our greatest assets. The, the, the newspaper and their uh, false and completely erroneous editorial claimed that I was against the Muslim ban. Or I was for the Muslim ban. That's what they called it. And anyone who sees any of my interviews and writings would notice that I did not ever call it a Muslim ban. And I rejected it every time it was mentioned to me on every network I spoke, be it Fox News, CNN, BBC, or wherever it was. I said, we should have an Islamist ban. We should have an ideological filter that those who come here should embrace the separation of mosque and state and not believe in theocracy and apologetics and anti-Semitism. That there should be ideological filters for those who come here. And if they don't believe in Western secular society, that they should go to societies like Turkey, Saudi Arabia, Iran, or Afghanistan that might share those ideas. So yes, we should welcome refugees, and I feel it's un-American to shut the door completely, but a pause made sense to me until we reset the vetting procedures that we did. And yet, the newspaper, true to its completely unacademic, haphazard approach to opinions, did no research, no quoting, nothing, and simply tried to tarnish me as a bigot or racist and again the the bizarre association of being Muslim with a race Muslims are of all races across the planet Islam is an idea it's not a race so the Racialization of Islam is an intentional identity process. And, you know, their response to that is, well, I securitize Islam. That the securitization of Muslims is also dangerous because it makes Americans see us through that lens. Well, my response to them is, yes, that is not the way to look at Muslims. That Muslims who serve in the military, Muslims who believe that we should lead the fight and we are the only ones that can solve this, are the solutions. So, so, what do we tell these youth? It's not one or the other. Yeah, my title was binary for my talk, but that doesn't mean that I believe it's completely binary. There are shades of gray going from one side of extreme insurgents that's militant to the extreme militant patriot who's a skinhead and a neo-Nazi. Both are extreme. In between is the majority that are trying to understand, but at some point you switch from having a primary loyalty to freedom and liberty to having a primary loyalty to the Islamic State and theocracy. And that's a conversation I believe we need to have with our youth because the Islamists at the end of the day will join the jihad because the only thing they'd die for is Islam, Islamic State identity. Not just ISIS, but any Islamic State. Would they ever feel that they'd want to die for America? And I think that is the program of what our Muslim Liberty Project is about. Their so-called newspaper said this was an unabashedly dog whistle heading implying a false dichotomy that Muslim Americans are either unshakable nationalists or militant terrorists in need of further state surveillance. This type of rhetoric isn't only transparently counterfactual, it carries real material consequences. And then they started blaming me for violence. They said, violence against Muslims has increased 91% since President Trump took office and birthed a very public resurgence of foaming mouth far-right extremism. Nevertheless, the conservative student groups have decided that bringing Zudi Jester to campus to offer his prejudiced view is an effective way to promote dialogue on campus. So now I'm prejudiced, now I'm foaming at the mouth, right-wing extremism, and I'm responsible for violence. That's right out of the words of Keith Ellison, who said that to me in a debate in 2008 and said I'd be responsible for hate crimes because he doesn't even think political Islam exists. It's It's a fabrication of my mind. What was Mustafa Akil writing about in the New York Times this week? What was the constant academic discourse from all political stripes about the Muslim Brotherhood, the Jamaat Islamiyah, the Taliban, these Islamist movements, they exist, they're real. The Duke Chronicle editorial continues, the Alexander Hamilton Society, Duke College Republicans, and Young Americans for Liberty could have strayed from history and taken concrete steps to improve this event by having made a panel or roundtable where Jasser's comments were presented as unequivocal truth. By the way, we've done that. There's many debates I've done. Debates against the Muslim Public Affairs Council. You'll see that at the World Affairs Council California. Uh, I love that. Well, I'll come back to do a debate, a panel. But sometimes you just can't get all the information out there. 30, 40-minute speech gives you an opportunity to lay out your case, and then we can have a conversation afterwards, and there'll be a QA. and a So then they're going to have a teach against Islamophobia and racism. So, as those of you who've listened here before know, the term Islamophobia is used by those who want to make you afraid of criticizing the Islamic establishment. They want to make you afraid of voicing any type of question as to whether the books that are interpretations of Islamic ideology and our scripture should be questioned and reformed. I'm not talking about rewriting the Quran. I'm talking about rewriting the interpretations of whether women get an equal vote as a man in court, whether you cut the hands of those who steal, whether you give a daughter a quarter of the inheritance of her brother. So many things that need to be addressed. And yet, the apologetic, the dismissals, the denial, the comments that you see, And they ask the question, they're tired of letting others represent them. Well, you know what? How about they let some other Muslim also express how I'm tired of letting Islamists speak for us. I'm tired of letting MBS, Muhammad bin Salman, who I've yet to see the Duke, Duke Muslim Society, Muslim Student Association, mention anything negative about MBS. And he's going around the country talking to religious leaders, interfaith and Pentagon and others, getting billion-dollar arms deals. Even the reformed Jewish community mentioned that he is a reformer. which is a joke. The Petro-Islamists are dominating the conversation. He won't acknowledge what parts of Islam need reform. He thinks just talking about women driving and small little benchmarks are somehow going to be real, uh, I'll believe it. I'll believe it when I see the clerics in Saudi Arabia talk about separation of mosques, and say, talking about, just like Mustafa Akil, he's a real reformer. He talks about Islamism. He recognizes the danger of theocracy. So to those who believe that I'm all about simple binary things, no, I'm about the evil of theocracy and the beauty of liberty and freedom. In the Middle East, they've had a binary which has been evil from both sides, secular military dictatorship and Islamist theocracy. Both are are evil at the same extreme of oppression, of imprisonment, of torture, genocide in Syria, as we see the so-called secular dictator of Bashar Assad, who's in bed with the theocrats of Iran, And Russia, that's a binary which is both evil. But the binary between choosing freedom and liberty versus rejection of Islamism is a real choice for Muslims. Just as, was it binary when the American founding fathers chose freedom and rejected theocracy and had a revolution? We need a revolution in the American Muslim mind against theocracy. And yes, I think... Our foreign policy, our domestic policy, should start to look at the declaration of the Muslim Reform Movement as being a solution, as being a pathway towards reform and trying to figure out which Muslims work with us and our allies, and which ones we really shouldn't be using to set our policies. This is Zudi Jasser on reform this. So we'll be right back.
0: Reform this with Dr. Zudi Jasser. Reaching the fault lines of today, the Blaze Radio Network. You're listening to Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser, the Blaze Radio Network.
1: This is Dr. Zudi Jasser. Welcome back to another segment of Reform This on the Blaze Radio Network. I've mentioned it a few times in the last few segments, uh, the piece by Mustafa Akil on March 25th, 2018, in the New York Times. Yeah. Anyone who watches me and listens to me knows that I don't always quote just conservative media. I will quote for you those ideas that I agree with regardless of where they appear. I'm not a fan of the New York Times. I think they've apologized for... Uh, regimes like Iran and others. But at the end of the day, something, something correct gets written there. I will read it and share it. Mustafa Akkyol wrote a piece this week called How Islamism Drives Muslims to Convert. How Islamism Drives Muslims to Convert. It's a must read. Take a look at it. I think he hits all the right notes. He talks about the fact that at the bottom, and this is something I have talked to you about almost every week on reform this i tell you how if you truly if you're a muslim listening to me and you're trying to figure out what to do to change the world to be part of change to be part of something in a legacy that leaves behind a country you love like the united states of america or canada or france or germany whatever that or egypt or tunisia whatever that country might be and yet you also love your faith in relationship with God, and that recipe that brings you closer to God is the Islamic one. You must realize that theocracy, the oppressive intolerance of debate and alternative interpretations within the faith, drives people away from Islam. Makes them feel that it's a cult and not a religion. Makes them feel that it is a faith that doesn't have much to be proud about, and thus must coerce people into believing in it. Akio said, the anti-government protests that erupted in Iran in the last days of 17 show that millions of Iranians are now disillusioned at the Islamic Republic. Moreover, there are signs that quite a few are now also disenchanted with Islam itself. I talked to you about this months ago. I talked about the atheism rate in Iran being the highest in the world. Often silently and secretly, they're abandoning their faith. Some opt for other faiths, others Christianity. And he goes on to talk about apostasy. And he said, while a 2015 study by two researchers, Dwayne Alexander Miller of St. Mary's in San Antonio, and Patrick Johnstone of WEC International in Singapore, estimated Iranian converts to Christianity to be, from 1960 to 2010, 100,000, The trend seems to be strong enough to worry Iran's religious establishment. Our commission, that I was a member on for four years, reported that since 2010, more than 600 Christians have been arbitrarily detained. And then he said, take the words of Azam Kamujian, an Iranian former Muslim, and leaving Islam apostates speak out. He said, I've lived thousands of days in Iran when Islam has shed blood. He wrote, referring to the violence of the Islamic revolution. Islam ruined the lives, dreams, hopes, and aspirations of three consecutive generations. The perpetrator of the mass killings or jailings he talks about was, of course, not Islam. It was the Islamic Republic. But apparently it's easy to conflate the two. Extending a resentment of a theocratic regime to the theology it claims to represent. He said even in officially secular Turkey, my my country, he says, the growing assertiveness of religious conservatives pushes the young generation towards deism, belief in God but no religion. As one concerned Turkish theologian, Mustafa Azturk, has written in the newspaper Karar, authoritarianism at the communal level is also similarly self-defeating. So, core problem he said is that traditional islamic jurisprudence and the religious culture it produced were formed when society was patriarchal hierarchical and communitarian liberal values like free speech open debate and individual freedom were much more limited hence muslim jurors saw no problem in protecting the religion by executing apostates and blasphemers some of them like imam ahmed ibn hanbal Those 9th century teachings were a precursor modern day of Wahhabism, also championed blind faith, a notion of believing without asking how. Modern society is a very different place. It is those civil traditions that the Ummah needs to revive today. The Islamic tradition of tolerance, of questioning, the mystical Sufi orders, on and on, and also reform. So, Mustafa brings up a very good point. And I'd like to elaborate more, which is religious freedom starts at home. America gives us religious freedom, but we shouldn't take it for granted. Do we Muslims have religious freedom inside the mosque? The civil rights war of today is inside the mosques. Between feminists and misogynists. Between liberal thinkers and oppressive theocrats. Between those who want to come to terms of modernity and those who want to stay in the 11th century. That is the civil rights war of today. The war of ideas. The war between those who are fossilized in their thinking and those who believe in critical thinking. That's the only way to grow. That's the only way to maintain our integrity. And as Mustafa mentioned in the piece, communitarianism was something that was defeated by those who defeated theocracy and individualism reigned supreme to protect the individual was meant to protect the entire community and tribalism started to melt away now we're seeing swings back and forth from tribalism to independence and liberal thinking but at the end of the day to my Muslim brothers and sisters if you care about your faith you will join us to defeat theocracy, to defeat the Islamists. You will join us to expose that the theocrats are the ones putting the nails in the coffin of the future of Islam. It's not just the radicals and the militants as MBS and other corporate Islamists want you to believe as they tidy the PR problem they have. No, it's an ideological problem. And you can't fix the ideological problem unless you're contrite and unless you admit that we have an, a, a problem unless you come to terms with humanity and you say, you know what? It's not just about being American, it's about being free. There's only 4 million of us in America, but we have an obligation to use this laboratory to begin to push back against the draconian theocrats from the pulpits of al-Azhar, from the pulpits of Saudi Arabia, from the pulpits of Pakistan and the pulpits of Washington and Los Angeles, Detroit and Chicago and Phoenix that when they're screaming anti-Semitism and misogyny, and when they yell at the women in the back, behind the curtain, as if they're inhuman third-class citizens, that that's not Islamic. It's not human. And that if we love our faith, we're going to find a way to look at the passages and look at the words in them and either separate them from today or interpret them in a way that's consistent with today. That's how we modernize our faith, and that's how you show love for our faith, and that's how we come to terms with being American. And I think that will begin to drive less people away. The Thirty Years' War in the 16th century ended up killing 8 million people as they fought against theocracy. So this might not be nonviolent, and America it certainly will be nonviolent. We should be able to talk about anything in a country built on religious freedom. And that religious freedom starts within your own faith. Globally, I don't think there's going to be a way, I can tell you as a Syrian, there's no way to avoid war against militant thugs who only know the power of a tank and a gun. But we will grow from this, we'll mature, and we will learn more about our faith and what it means to be American, to be human, and to be thankful for the blessings that our families give us and this country gives us. And at the end of the day, it all comes from God.
0: Reaching the fault lines of today. This is Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network. Don't miss the morning blaze with Doc. You know, I have a, a suggestion for LeBron James. Mm-hmm. He might want to get with the rapper from the March for Our Lives. Oh, oh. Vic Mensa. Yeah, he yeah knows. Vic Menta. He knows how to carry a gun illegally. He and does. He found out the mm-hmm. rules and regulations mm-hmm. when carrying a gun illegally. Interesting. So he might want to talk to, because I know they talk. They have a network, they talk. The morning blaze, weekday morning, 6 to 9 Eastern on the Blaze Radio Network.
1: Jasser. This is Dr. Zudi Jasser. Welcome back to the last segment this week of Reform This on the Blaze Radio Network. It is always an honor to know that you spent some time with me, that I've uh, been given the privilege of sharing with you what I think is some of the wisdom that we need to approach what I think is the biggest conflict in the 21st century, which is the insinuating ideology of political Islam, Islamic State mentality, and you know one of the areas of islamism that i've not talked to you too much about is islamic banking now the premise and why am i talking about this well before i get to the premise this week in bloomberg on march 27th 2018 was a piece written by a um i don't have his name here i thought i had his name um a reporter for bloomberg and uh it was entitled, Spreading Islamic Banking in Uganda, One Sermon at a Time. And then he goes on, this writer for Bloomberg, and says, The Islamic preacher, Idi Kazoni's Friday sermon in the Ugandan capital typically focus on three subjects, faith, mercy, and religiously complying banking products. Whether speaking from the pulpit in Kampala or social functions, the 59-year-old has become Uganda's most ardent promoter of Islamic banking. The practice the nation is set to follow neighbors of Kenya, Tanzania, and adopting after years of debate. And though he sees it as a religious obligation, others see it as a chance to expand finance in these African countries where only 40% of 19 million potential countries' customers have accounts. About 14% of Uganda's 41.5 million population are Muslim. This practice will help people get access to capital. And he goes on to talk about the banks that are going to participate and what a boon this will be. The Sharia-compliant assets are forecast to reach $3 trillion worldwide sometime in the next decade, from about $2.1 trillion at the end of 2016. Then he has a section in the piece about great expectations of Uganda and nearby countries in which it will help economic growth. Mind you, nothing about free markets is being written. Bloomberg Business. Bloomberg Business. This is not a Ugandan propaganda news piece or Al-Azhar's news piece or Saudi finance news piece or Dubai's news piece. No, this is Bloomberg. And then he talks about the lender's plans. The central bank in September has submitted applications to Islamic banking without identifying them. So far, only one established institution, the Tropical Bank Limited, has confirmed it will offer... Islamic products, and it goes on to say what they're going to do. Now listen, I think there are some things that scholars of Islamic economics have written that we should take a look at, things we can learn. There are some, I think, technical ways that aren't dishonest, that aren't corrupt, to avoid interest, that allows you to share risk. Now what is the avoidance of interest? Now, the Old Testament teachings from the God of Abraham have written consistently about the need for human beings to avoid exploitation and to avoid usury, which is inordinate interest. It doesn't mean no interest, it means inordinate. Well, over time, the theocrats, the Islamists, Mm -hmm. have interpreted usury to just mean any interest, and especially fixed interest. They, They do not want the risk to be no risk from the bank, for example, and they get a flat interest payment. But yet, the Islamic financing schemes are all about shifting costs to lease to purchase schemes, to expense mechanisms that end up stealing more money from the vulnerable customers of these schemes, and then losing their property because of the inability to pay, in which the so called bank doesn't really take the risk it claims to be taking as it should in islamic financing now this is why i'm against islamic financing anytime you have to call something by strictly a religious name it empowers the theologians like you would if you called it an islamic state to control government islamic financing empowers theologians to say they become the economists they become the experts in banking and thus we are beholden to them not only setting up the schemes of contractual agreements, but guiding investments, guiding where the money goes, etc. So you lose the invisible hand of Adam Smith and free markets and capitalism, and all of a sudden it becomes the oppressive, corrupt chains, not hands, chains of theocrats who, while, listen, I know there's, bundling of funds and stuff for those who are called virtuous funds in which you reject financing of causes that you don't believe in, be it tobacco, be it uh, marijuana, be it alcohol, all the things. This is, can be done in a free society. It doesn't have to be called Islamic. It could be called moral investments. Uh, I prefer a more generic, righteous sense of integrity based in financing so that free market advice can come in so that all can have an equal access to giving me, my family, Muslim families, advice on financing. If you call it primarily Islamic financing, then you have to say that it's all left to the Sharia compliant as what their economics are called the Sharia compliant. And if you think that an underdeveloped country in the third world is going to evolve from that, by letting theocrats guide them, then I would ask you where are the free markets and the economic productivity of Saudi Arabia, of, of uh, Iran, of Pakistan? Where are the products that are being developed by the free thinking, free marketing capitalists of those Islamically financed Sharia compliant economies? Nowhere. Nowhere. They're suffocated by folks that want to drive those funds to Hamas, drive those funds to Wahhabi networks, to educational systems and Sharia networks that are oppressive in which women can't innovate, nobody can innovate, and on and on. They're driven by conspiracy theories, they're driven by separatism, And I think you can obviously find some Islamic banking people that are more moderate than others that might be more willing, you know, to work with banks. You see HBSC Bank out of London has some Sharia compliant financing mechanism. But at the end of the day, you look at these large zakat funds and where their monies go and some of the statements of their clerics that are on their boards and you will be horrified. The hair on the back of your neck will stand when you hear some of the causes that they think should be given money to and the way they feel about Israel, the way they feel about America. And this is all done in the name of those who are lending advice in the Dow Jones and elsewhere on Islamic finance. There is no invisible hand of free markets in Islamic financing. It's Islamist financing. I believe in Islamic principles in the way I invest my money, minimizing interest, sharing risk, avoiding usury at all costs, whatever you know, usury is is exploitative and is unethical. But it doesn't mean all interest is. To believe that you can buy a home at the age of 30 with cash and that you must save your whole life the cash in order to buy the home or be stuck in some kind of deal in which you're leasing your own home is absurd. That all needs reform. We need to start empowering boards of Muslims to start to teach our kids and force the theologians to get back to the universities and start to look at our theology in a way that allows us to work with free market thinkers and not call on imams only to tell us about economics, but to say that they have a input, not the input, into how we determine what is and what is not moral financing. So I would say, don't use the term Islamic financing. Use the term moral, honest, righteous financing, financing with integrity. And that should, be at the end of the day, be consistent with what we believe God would want and thus marginalize the power, the $7 trillion power that exists with Islamic financing and Sharia-compliant banking that I think is part of the main center of the Islamic cancer of the OIC, the Organization of Islamic Cooperation, that, that, that evil empire, which I think is the evil empire of today, The Islamic states, from Turkey to Saudi Arabia, Iran and Pakistan, on and on, that are cauldrons of this Islamic control. We have to expose that, and Bloomberg, wake up. Your media arm is not doing critical thinking. If they had called it Christian financing run by theocrats in the West, I'm sure you would have been critical. But that newspaper gave it to a reporter, and... Did no critical analysis. This is Zudi Jasser on Reform This. Stay strong, stay safe, stay critically thinking, and keep our country strong. This is Zudi Jasser on Reform This. God bless.
0: You're listening to Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser, the Blaze Radio Network.